0: amen. Everybody loves a story, don't we? Documentaries flooded in Netflix. We grow up with stories. Um, we are obsessed with, with storytelling from, from movies, TV shows, fairy tales, novels. Uh, we love a good story. Anybody, anybody readers, got any readers that you just love, you like a good story? Anybody could just binge out watching Uh, documentaries on weird things like you find yourself watching weird documentaries about stuff that you showed no interest in Um, because because we are connected in our inner being to to be connected with storytelling that's how we we move things through the generations of through our stories and our experiences some of my greatest memories in life were sitting with my grandfather and him telling me story after story even though I'd heard it 40,000 times but consistently but I'd hear story after story and used to love sitting there hearing how he became the man that he was. And it was influential in my life hearing these stories. And I would always long and, and be willing to, to sit in, in, in his house or in his truck and hear the stories of his childhood and how he served faithfully for 20-plus years in the United States Navy, how he taught at the Naval Academy, how he knew Roger Staubach, and that one I'm still kind of out trying to figure out if that was true or not, and, and how he worked at Pearl Harbor at one time, and, and it, was just, it was just amazing to hear stories, because we love stories. We learn through stories, and we definitely love stories that are relatable to, to things that we go through, and the Bible is full of stories it starts from genesis chapter one of the story in the garden and it moves along through the story of redemption of god redeeming his people back traditions have been passed down through the story so we in the bible we have all these stories of god's people and even jesus himself spoke in stories we call them parables so we're we are people that loves a good story you know if you are a father of jesus you have a story and you have a story to tell if like you have a story to tell we are storytellers right because as the followers of jesus we have been redeemed been given mercy and grace And access to the Father, for which we did nothing to have that relationship, because the only thing that we bring into the relationship with God is the sin that makes it necessary for Him to send Jesus. And and we're storytellers to tell and proclaim all that God has done for us. And here's the cool thing about stories. Stories have the power to reshape your future and your present. And when I share my story... It can be encouraging for other people. It can be hopeful for other people. When you share your story, it's the same thing. It it puts it on the radar that maybe God's trying to speak to them through your story of what God has done. Even the things that you're like, ah, my story, I can't share it because there are some bad things that happened. Well, did God not redeem those things? And maybe there are people that are sitting on this side of it that need to hear the very story that you're holding back because you still are beat with shame. And by the way, if you're ashamed of your past, that shame did not come from God. The enemy suppresses stories. because Let me tell you, because I'm going to be honest with you, all week fought with this whole message, trying to write it. You know why? Because when you start trying to equip a church to share their stories of what God has done in their life, the enemy can't take that. And I'll tell you why I can't take it. Because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that the thing that we use to destroy the enemy is the blood of Jesus and the word of what? He can't take what God has done. Because he knows that there is a pro- every promise in the Bible has been yes and amen. And he knows exactly at the end of all of this that there's still one promise that he's going to be bound and cast out forever. The worst thing that can happen for the enemy is for us to be equipped to share the story of what Jesus has done in our life and what he is doing in our life lives and so you're going to come up against spiritual battles so that whole i feel ashamed and can't share it or feel like i don't know enough to be sharing things that is the enemy convincing you of that so that the kingdom cannot be advanced but god has given you a redeemed story to proclaim his name so that he gets all honor and glory we testify to the things of god C.S. Lewis says it this way, that the church exists to engage a lost world in a conversation of redemption and hope. Let me break that down for you. He says the church exists, here we go, to engage. We have a habit as a church to disengage from culture. We have never been tasked with fleeing from the culture we have been pushed to go into the culture and be, in, and, and be an influence, but not be influenced. So he says that, that we exist to engage a lost world in this conversation of the gospel, a conversation of redemption, a conversation of hope. That's, that's what we've been tasked with. To, to what if all of our conversations with people were ones that would bring life, that would bring hope, that would put a, a small little bleep on the ra- their spiritual radar that maybe the spirit is doing something right here. What if? Let me give you this definition of what a testimony would be. Uh, we call it, here we use the word story. We want you to share your story, but but let's just go with testimony for this morning. A, a testimony is a written or spoken record of what God has done. A written or spoken record of what God has done. I remember growing up in church. People would share their testimonies. And it, some, it was always about, well, when I was three years old, I was born uh, here. And at three, I did this. And at, at three and a half, this happened. But then at nine and a half, this happened. And, and, and those are all great. Like, it's good to know at what point. But, but the question of testimony, what's God doing right now? What, what is he doing in your life right this second? And, I, and the Bible tells us in Psalm, I think it's 111, he tells us this, that that our inheritance is the testimony of the previous generation, that we get to inherit their testimony. Why? Because testimonies are powerful. Because I can look back on on moments of going, man, I, I don't know why this is happening, but I can look at the testimony of Moses and be encouraged. I can look at the testimony of Joshua, the testimony of Paul, and I can look back on these testimonies, and here's what it says. Not only do we get to inherit these testimonies, they fill us with you ready for this three-letter word joy because it helps us realize that god is still on his throne and still very much active so we testify to the things of god this is what god is doing which this means that if we're going to testify and be storytellers we got to be very in tune with what god is doing right The, the way we do that is spend time in the word we we hear from the spirit we spend time in prayer, and then as we go out in this community in, a, in, a, in our everyday life, because when he says go into all the world, when he uses that term go in the Greek, it actually means as you're going through your everyday life, we should be making disciples. How do we make disciples? We make it by having spiritual conversations and testifying to the things of God. So I want to show you a story this morning, in John chapter 9, of this whole thing that's kind of unfolding. John chapter 9, Jesus just comes... Uh, he's coming through town and he's just leaving a situation where they're ready to kill him. This is kind of that, that point in his life that, that the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they're really against anything that Jesus does and they're trying to attack him. But instead of like being all oh, out of shape and they're trying to kill me, Jesus just keeps on doing ministry because he is engaging the world in conversation. About redemption and hope. And, and look what he says in these first few verses. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. So he's never had sight, okay? He's been blind from birth. That's what it means in the Greek, um, that he's been blind from birth. So the rabbi, his disciples asked him, talking to Jesus, said, Why was this man born blind? Why is it because of, of his own sins or was it his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happens so that the power of God can be seen in him. Now, I want you to catch something, because this is kind of a weird situation here if you you set it up, that this guy's blind sitting on the street corner. The disciples and Jesus are walking by, and they have a conversation in earshot of this guy about him, but nobody's talking directly to him. Oh, man, if that's not an example of the churches, the Western church, that we'll talk about the sin and we'll talk about the issues, but we'll never put our hand out to engage in the conversation to talk about it. See, what what has happened here is the disciples regarded this man to be some type of unsolved riddle. Like, what's going on with this guy? So they showed no interest in helping him. They only wanted to discuss the condition that he was in, but not reach out to try to figure this thing out. They they were not speaking to his situation. So Jesus tells them that even his blindness was the plan of God. So Jesus says, we're not going to make this a theological issue. There's a man that needs help. And so... This popular belief that was going on around this time, they believed that, that sin and suffering were connected. If you were blind, it had to be been because you had done something bad. And if you were blind from birth, it had to have been something, some sins of your parents that had been un, unconfessed and not repented of. So Jesus steps into this moment. And, he, and this blind man is hearing this conversation that they're talking about him probably thinking back to all the little times as he was this little boy asking his mom, why am I blind? Why, why do I not have any sight? And perhaps mom never really had a good explanation for it. But Jesus explains it in this passage. That I'm going to use it. I, I didn't make the guy blind. But I'm going to use his blindness for the glory of God. So God wants to work in him. God wants to meet him where he is. So Jesus pointed... The question away from why on to the idea of what can God do in this situation? What can God do for him? And so, instead of, again, focusing on this man as a theological problem, Jesus sees him as an opportunity to do the works of God. So he says this in verse 6. Now imagine, you're being talked about at a distance, and then this happens. Then Jesus spit on the ground. Remember, on the way to church, you would have... Something on your face, the mama would spit and wipe it. Y'all remember that? That was different coming from your mama, but coming from a total stranger that you've never met before. Jesus spits on the ground. That's unclean. That's not very Jewish of him, to put dirty spit on someone's face. So he spits on the ground. He makes mud with his saliva. So grabs some dirt, spits, rubs it. And the disciples are like, oh, he must be doing like a... a like Some moisturizer for his hands with the mud. And then Jesus takes this and he does something that they're, they're not expecting. He takes this and he spreads it and then he wipes it all over the man's eyes. This guy's blind and no pun intended, but he didn't see this coming. That he, he's sitting on a corner being talked about as a problem. And he gets a little bit of hope because he hears this guy talking about, no, it's not because of that. It's because it's God's going to do something in him. But then all of a sudden, wet mud all over your eyes as if it's some dirty prank that's being pulled on you. Then he follows up with this. Now, what's this guy's problem? I need you to say it confidently. What's this guy's problem? He's blind. Okay. Not only is he blind, now has mud in his eyes. Jesus tells him to go wash yourself in the pool A Siloam. This guy's blind, right? How's he getting to the pool? And how's he getting directions to the pool? He can't see where he's going. Y'all following the story? There's a lot of impossibilities that are happening here in the story. But Jesus tells him to go wash yourself in the pool. So the man went and he washed. And he came back seeing. Came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar, because he's being identified by his past here, they knew him as a blind beggar. They asked each other, hey, isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, nah, he just looks like that guy. Because even they couldn't accept what had just happened. It says, nah, he just looks like that blind beggar. But the beggar kept saying, no, 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 I'm that guy. I'm the same one. I was sitting on the corner begging. And they asked Well, who healed you and what happened? Now, just sidebar this. This is the first time in the biblical record that a person born blind has been healed of their blindness, right here. So from Genesis to John, no prophet, priest, or apostle has given sight to the eyes that have been blind, okay, the physical. So they said, what happened, who healed you? He goes on in verse 11, he told them, The man they call Jesus, and this is where the story gets strange, because he's got to explain this whole situation. The man they call Jesus made mud, and he spread it over my eyes. And they're going, that, that don't work. And he told me to go to the pool of Siloam and, and wash yourself. So I went and I washed. Now, let me finish this, and I'm going to explain that. And he says, now I can see. Where, where is this guy now, they asked. And he said, I, I don't know. Because here's the thing you've got to remember. They're talking about him. Jesus puts mud on his eyes, gives him a difficult task to get to a place that he can't see where he's going. And then he does exactly what Jesus asks, and he washes his eyes in this pool of water, and his sights restored. He has physically not seen Jesus yet. That's an important piece of the story. He has not seen Jesus yet. The power of your testimony is this. Just like right here in in this guy's story, the first thing you need to do in your your storyteller, you got to identify your story. Do you have a story? Are you a follower of Jesus? you got to be able to identify what God has done in your life. Not just in the past of how he's redeemed you. What is God actively doing in your life right now? Every believer should have God be so close to God that they can activate those stories in a heartbeat of what he's doing. What he's doing. Because if we're in a constant state of thankfulness and and we're being ready in season and out of season as Paul's commanded, then we should be able to throw these moments of testimony. I want to testify to what God's doing. You want me to testify about a miracle? You want to testify about the time that he came through? You want to testify about a time that I I realized how much he loved me? You want me to testify about those things? Being ready to to give and identify these stories because we never know how the Spirit, he's like the wind, he's going to blow and move us. And we never know what conversations he's going to put us in front of. And when when we get in front of these places and these people to have these spiritual, spiritual conversations, are we ready to give testimony to what God has done? You've got to be able to identify your story. I'd ask you the question, what, what has God done in your life? What is he doing in your life? If you had to stop right now in this moment, and, and the Spirit interrupted you right now, and looked at you in your face and said, tell me what God is doing in your life right now, could you give answer to that? Because if, if the answer is no, we got some work to do. We got some work to do so look at verse 13 then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because remember his neighbors have seen him and they're they're kind of in denial that this is the guy so then they took him let's take him to the professionals so they take this blind guy who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath oh he was working on the Sabbath you remember when grandma used to tell you if you cut grass on Saturday on Sunday what was gonna happen you go fishing on Sunday what was gonna happen My great-grandma told me, if you go fishing on Sunday, son, you're going to catch the devil. I was like, joke's on you, woman. Every time I've gone fishing, I've caught nothing, so that would be an improvement. (laughs) Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath day, the day that you're not supposed to do anything, and that Jesus had made mud, and he healed healed me. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. They're like, no way that happened. That's not the way that works. He says, to so some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. That was their criteria that this guy's not the Messiah. He can't be God because he's working on a day of rest. What was, was he really working? Like all he, Jesus was healing someone. He broke the religious mold. By working, by spitting on the ground, making mud, and wiping it in somebody's eyes. And now, he's going to hell because of that. That's the way they look at it. He says, this man, Jesus is not for God because he's working on the Sabbath. And others said, but how could an ordinary sinner, so now Jesus is a sinner, do such miraculous signs? So there's deep division of opinion among them. Sounds like a good deacons meeting. There's a deep division of opinion among them. And then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded. They asked him, what is your opinion? Because that's what they needed. When when you don't have enough opinions, it's good to get more opinions. So the Pharisees questioned him, and they demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, well, I think he must be a prophet. And the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man who had been blind and who can now see. So they called in his parents. We don't believe you, so now we're going to call you mom and dad. So the neighbors have been testifying. They couldn't testify because they didn't believe it was him. The religious elite are, are being called in to question this. They can't come to a conclusion. So now we're just going to have to call his mom and dad. This is a grown man. And they're calling in the parents. Because they just have a hard time believing. Can I just tell you that you and I are our own ey- eyewitnesses to our stories. And this guy's testifying on what God has done for him and nobody believes it. And you can testify all day and sometimes people aren't going to believe it. That's okay. Your job is not to make people believe your story. Your job is to share your story and allow the Holy Spirit to carry those words to do what he needs to do. So he has a parent-teacher conference. And his parents replied... We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. So ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. They didn't want to get him punished for what their answer was going to be. Think about it. Jesus has done a work in his life. And for him to make that proclamation about Jesus would get him removed from his religious family. He would be removed from the synagogue, the very place that all of life in this century happened around. He would be removed from it. So verse 24 says, For the second time... They called the man in. Now they had this meeting without him. So they called him in. And they said, God should get the, or, and, and they told him God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And I don't know whether, and, and so the guy says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know that. But I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? He said, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once already, didn't you listen? Why do you, not want, why do you want to hear it again? And then he flips it on him. Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they cursed him. And they said, you are his disciple? Now, again, can I ask this question? Has this guy physically seen Jesus yet? How many encounters has he had with Jesus? One, are you his disciple? Because he said, because the Pharisees said, we're disciples of Moses. He says, we we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. He says, wow, that's very strange, the man replied. Because he healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We would think you would know somebody that, that popular that could do things like that. And we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and who do his will. And ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone who's been blind. See, the the Pharisees are going back on the fact that this has never happened before, so it can't be happening now, especially not with a guy they don't even know where he's from. And if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done this. And they said, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? The religious leaders, because we know more than you. You you can't be questioning us. And what happened? They threw him out of the synagogue. They they cut his community off because he's given testimony. The only thing that he knows is I was blind, but now I see. See, you've got to be able to identify your story, but you also got to be willing to tell your story. He had no problem telling it. He got a little aggravated because he had to keep telling it same thing over and over again you notice how consistent his story was never changed it was the same thing it's important to understand that this was a man who didn't know everything about jesus he didn't know anything he the only thing he did was prevent he professed what he did know and what he did know he acted and believed in what he knew That I was blind, but now I see. He didn't focus on the rest of the thing. Where's the guy from? I don't know what a guy's from. Is the guy a sinner? I don't know. But what I can tell you is, I was blind, and now I see. What do you want me to do with that? See, that wouldn't work in the theological pipe that the Pharisees were trying to smoke, because that didn't make any sense. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to make sense, because I operate outside the boundaries. The, The Pharisees were too focused on trying to keep theological purity. Can I just tell you, Jesus didn't care about theological purity. He cared about the people. And so he's stepping outside the bounds of religion to reach his people. Because he's come on a rescue mission. And so the neighbors can deny it. The Pharisees and the leaders can deny it. But you can't deny what God has done. And that is that he was blind, but now he sees. He, He recognized that He was not qualified to be debating with these learned religious leaders concerning the things of Jesus' identity. He he didn't want to get into all that because he didn't know all that. But what he was qualified to do was speak in one very important area, and that was concerning what had happened to him. Because I know what Jesus has done for me. It was his own personal experience. His friends, his parents, his his own testimony these were all the same. He was once blind, but now the guy can see. He can see. The Pharisees had no answer to it besides get rid of this guy before he ruins the rest of us, before he starts spreading this false teaching. So it was painfully obvious to the Pharisees that something dramatic had happened in this man's life, and they couldn't put their finger on it. They were missing god isn't it interesting they study the old testament they studied the prophecies they they knew there was a coming messiah and they're looking at jesus but they don't really see jesus that's a concern for me in the church is that we're looking at jesus but we don't really see him that we've missed him so they ultimately just refuse to acknowledge the source of change that they could just deny the obvious How many times do you think this blind man told his story in this passage? He told the same simple story over and over and over again. In this passage alone, he shares his testimony four times. Four times. And he keeps it very concise, and he does this, he tells the story in 12 words. One thing I do know, I don't have to have everything else figured out, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's my testimony. It was so good that it made it into an old hymn of amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. This was all that was needed to start the ripple of a movement that we call the church today. The disciples had no influence They had no social or academic credentials. They had no training. All they had was their life change stories. Let me tell you what happened to me. Go look at Paul. Paul will tell you, he did tell us, I was a bad dude. And I don't know why, but Jesus met me on the road to Damascus and he kicked me off of a horse and I went blind. And I stayed that way for a while, but I had an encounter with him. You can believe it or not, but I, that, that's what happened. I saw him. And that's his story. Y'all have stories like that. This, is, this I know. The one thing that I do know, dot, 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 and you fill in that blank. They had, they had none of these things, no credentials, just life change stories and the Holy Spirit to lead them. And here we are. Here we are. Learning to tell your story is the most powerful tool that you can have for making disciples. Because you can't argue with a first-hand account of what Jesus has done in your life. This blind man has zero training. He definitely didn't know a lot about Jesus. But the one thing that he did know was what? He was once blind, but now he, he sees. And that's where his journey starts. In verse 35, he says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, because remember, has he seen Jesus physically yet? He's putting all his faith in something he hadn't even seen. Sound familiar? Because he's seen the effects and felt the effects of what Jesus can do. And when Jesus heard what had happened, and by what had happened is he had gotten kicked out of the synagogue, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. In verse 37, you have seen him. He is speaking to you, and he says, yes, Lord, I believe. And the man worshipped Jesus. Identify your story, tell your story, but you've got to live your story. There's a lot of people that have identified it. There's a lot of people that will tell it to you, but are you living it out? Or is this an everyday thing? As we share testimonies about God's work, what happens is it does something in our souls to where we begin to glorify God through through praising Him, through giving thanksgiving, because we're we're revealing who God is and what God has done. We're giving credit where credit is due. David says in Psalm 40, he says, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. He's saying, I stood up in the middle of church and I told everybody my testimony. I I testified to how good God was. And he says, I have not restrained my lips as you know. In other words, when I got up in front of the congregation and I started sharing my story, they couldn't shut me up because I couldn't stop talking about the goodness of God and testifying to all that he had done. And he says, so they couldn't restrain my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from this great uh, congregation. David says, I give thanks for God for his deliverance. And, and, And in the great congregation, I have testified to the goodness of God. When we share our stories, when we share them, it has a profound effect on people around us. Because there's things in your story that sets people free. And it pushes them closer to being made aware of the Holy Spirit. So as we declare God's works, as we declare these, we're declaring these before a world that is watching. We bear witness to Him of His goodness. We bear this witness. We bear witness to what God is capable of doing when we testify to Him. We testify and communicate what has already been done. We exist to make disciples and to have conversations with people, to engage in a lost world, to to share the story of hope. Hear me. The church is not a waiting room for heaven. We don't just come and sit and wait for his return we are called to engage and advance the kingdom of god with our stories of what we testify to that's what we've been called to do so the impact of this used to be blind man on some of these pharisees wasn't the result of some well-crafted theological argument in fact in verse 17 when the man was asked his opinion about jesus the gaps in his still developing Christology were revealed when he described him as a prophet, not as a Messiah. He didn't have all the answers yet, he just had a story. And, so, and one of the things that I believe that block us from sharing our story is we feel like we don't have it all figured out yet, that we just can't share it. Can I just tell, people aren't looking for theological dissertations when you have conversations with them. Because they're lost, and they need Jesus, and what they don't need is the five steps of sanctification. They don't need all the multiple things and when Jesus is coming back and what that looks like and and what their eschatology looks like and and ecclesiology. Here's what they need. Can Jesus save me? Because I I feel like we've done a really good job of, of educating the church and we've got like a mile wide worth of theology, but we're about an inch deep in obedience. So we've been called to advance a message. You have a story. So I want to challenge you with this. When a testimony is shared, it's a prophetic word. It's a prophetic word because it carries the weight of the Spirit. And here's what happens. The Holy Spirit takes our story and His message and connects it to the hearts of the people because if He's the wind, And he's led you to this person to talk to. He has already given you the words to speak. And he's going to connect those to the heart of the person that he is the one doing the work through. You know what this means? There's no pressure, church. We're not car salesmen. I don't have to try to sell Jesus. Jesus isn't a brand. He is a king. Who is at work. I have been called to carry his gospel message. And, direct, and, and follow the Spirit to be directed to these conversations and these people that he wants us to speak with. I'm going to ask you two things this morning in closing. The first is, do I have a life-changed story? Do I have one? Am I a disciple who has been changed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Do I have a story? Identify your story ask yourself this, am I convinced the people that I encounter today need and desire to hear about Jesus? Because some of these like, I just had this really strange conversation. It wasn't really strange. It was just that you got to put the right language to it. The Spirit led me to this conversation. I want you to, on the back of your your handout, I've given you a little exercise that you can utilize on how to craft your stories that you can write in two sentences these things. Where where were you before Jesus, when you met Jesus, and what does your life look like now? Craft that. Spend some time this week writing down and testifying all the good things that God has done, all all the things that you've seen him do, whether it was in your life or somebody else's life. Testify to those things. We, we have what we call Replicate. It's the training that we do here. Uh, how to make disciples. And when the first step of making a disciple is learning how to have these spiritual conversations with people. And here in a couple of weeks, in January, I think it's the 22nd or 23rd, we are having another class on this, and we're going to be teaching it and equipping you on how to share your story. If you're interested and you want to take this a step further, and go, I want to learn how to craft my story. I want to be able to confidently share my story with people. I want to be able to make, be aware of what the Spirit is doing and, and, and be obedient to those things and make disciples who make disciples. I want you to go to the welcome desk and sign up for that. And we'll get, we'll get you all the information you need, but it's the first step in us being able to learn how to share our stories. Because remember, this is powerful because it carries the gospel, but it also ends the reign of what Satan is trying to do. And we can disarm him real quick with our story. Because there's one thing he can call a lot of things a lie. And he may tell me that I'm a liar. And he may tell me that I'm worthless. And he may tell me I'm not any good. But this one thing I know. I was lost and I was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? I thank you. It's because of you, my story becomes your story. Of what you've done. You met me where, where I was. I pray, God, that we would equip ourselves. With identifying our story, of what you're doing and what you have done. And that we bear witness to those things and we would testify to those things. God, I know that as we pursue this, that we will come up against spiritual attack. Continue to remind us that the more that we can share our story, we have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and we have our story of what you have done for us.